Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Even after the, after the medication, I wasn't able to do that stuff. Running don't feel the same. I don't feel the same endorphins I had. I don't feel the same pleasure from that. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. It's my pleasure to be joined by uh, Jaden here today. Jaden suffers from PSSD. He's kindly agreed to uh, share his experience with us so we can kind of learn from him about the condition and, and what it's been like living with it. Um, Jaden, I'm just going to hand it over to you first. I mean, people don't people don't know you. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been very athletic my entire life. Uh, during the COVID lockdowns, I uh, was dealing with depression from the isolation and the circumstances and Things uh, went south quick for me, and um, um, I guess that's just a little bit about me. Um, of sure. course, there's yeah. a lot more in my life, but that's just yeah. Um, and um, are you um, are you working? Are you in school, or were you working, or were you in school before all of this happened? Um, no, um, no, I was. Well, I was working. I was traveling with the family business. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything was going well until COVID happened. Uh, mm-hmm. Due to the business, it's a it's a carnival business. So um, due to that, oops, due to that, um, we weren't able to uh, operate, and so we had to like bunker down in a location south of San Antonio called Poteet, Texas. And it was like a fairgrounds area. And I was living there with my father in a trailer. With uh, I had neighbors who were H2B workers from Mexico. And a lot of them got sent home. A lot of my buddies I worked with got sent home. And I was only part of this family business for, out, for about like six months. I, I grew up uh, outside mm-hmm. of the carnival life. You know, I went to school, went to high school. Um, mm-hmm. So I wasn't always traveling on the road. But mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, get to know my father. And so I decided to go on the road and um, just, yeah, the circumstances and everything in the, the, the combination of the lockdowns and the depression, I guess I was enduring due to that uh, made me, uh, I guess, ex- uh, acceptable or what do you say? How do you say that? Like vulnerable to being, um, mm-hmm. Uh, I, well, I, I peer pressured by my father to go get go see a doctor, and and we didn't sure, know the okay. difference at the time between a psychologist and a psychiatrist, and we went right mm-hmm. to the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and he was a guy with a private practice, an older guy, and uh, it was only like a free a few brief appointments with him, and very short, uh, maybe like. <laughs> probably 10, 15 minutes and out the door, there really wasn't much to talk about. And I tell him like the things that were like making me upset, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just being away from home, not having any friends at the time due to where I was staying. I'm from Michigan. I was in some other place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, I just, I just, uh, and, and the, it's hard to talk about this in order, but there, he was presenting with me some symptoms of, uh, of medical issues uh, during my appointments that sh- should have been red flags. I, uh, mm-hmm. He was falling asleep at these appointments, like 
dozing off, writing notes. Oh uh, it was really concerning. And I like stepped out of the room one time to like tell my father, was like, I don't think this, I don't think the doctor's okay. Like he's, zoning in out and he's like you know he eventually like snapped out of it like whatever you know whatever spell he was under <laughs> I, I, he, he was also you know uh, a vietnam veteran on a lot of medications due to medical issues so, so i think your it dad or no your dad no the, the psychiatrist the, yes psychiatrist was on many medications and i think that was one of the reasons and one of the reasons he got me to take a, a really ridiculous medication for depression was due to his own experiences and sharing and opening up about his, uh, his medical issues and kind of like, okay. like, I don't know. I just felt like I was just so trusting in that moment and also vulnerable to just wanting any relief from, you know, the depression I was going through at the time. Okay. And, uh, he recommended me a 120 milligram injection of a drug called Perseris, which is Respiridum. Yeah. Yeah. I had a horrible dystonic reaction the first day and it lasted like two days. I'd like go to the ER and they gave me like Benadryl uh, through an IV, <clears throat> which kind of helped. And then they sent me home with that. Didn't really do much for me. Um, Jane, can I interrupt you? So yeah. was that the first medication he started you on or was uh, or were yeah, there a okay. couple others? So there was, yeah. Okay, yeah, there were there were like a cocktail of five. It was like Effexor, Risper, Risper, uh, tablets, Wellbutrin, and Xanax, and then like one other one. Um, but I didn't take these things. I was uh, I was staying with my father and uh, in the and um, I had my own room in the trailer. He had his own room, and there, you know, uh, he wanted to make sure I was taking my, my pills, but I, I wouldn't take the pills. I would just hide them in a suitcase because I was like, I ain't taking five different pills. Like, this is crazy to me. This doesn't sound how, normal. And how long were you meeting with this um, psychiatrist? Like, how many meetings did you have before you had five scripts? Was this over like six months um, or a year or something no, like that? No, no, it was a very short time. Like, it was like, I mean, I think he prescribed the pills a lot sooner. Like, it might have been like the okay. second appointment. And then it was like the third follow-up, which is like, where I came to him and I was just saying like, I don't want to, like, I, I'm not interested in taking the pills. And he's like, well, you got to do something. You got to do something. Otherwise you're going to get worse. You're going to spend the rest of your life with depression, you know, giving me, uh, you know, which is, it wasn't true. I, I would have pulled myself up by the bootstraps given, you know, a different environment. But Wait, so, so uh, this, this happened over like maybe two months, maybe like something like that, three follow ups, um, something like that, or maybe a bit longer. Cause it happened in, it happened in, uh, July yeah. of 2020. Um, I'm trying to think of like, okay, July, August, um, I, I, I think it, I, I think it might've been maybe like two months, maybe it could have been like okay. two months. And then usually, well, I was going to say, usually when you get on, like, were you, were you psychotic? Were you having hallucinations and paranoia no, at any point? No, 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 okay. no. Yeah, that's the scary part. And that's what, like, okay. traumatized me is that I was prescribed a medication off-label uh, for a dose, to, you know, like, for, like, a horse. Uh, you and, know, 120 and, milligrams is really high for somebody who doesn't have a tolerance. Yeah. And uh, and I guess I'm allergic. I, I didn't know I was also allergic, but... uh um. Yeah, well, let, let me just say, I mean, so for those who are going to watch this who are not aware of it, so Perseris is the brand name for a long-acting injectable version of a drug called Risperidone. 
mm-hmm. where you kind of load someone up with a four months worth of um, medication, you know, on one day. And then it creates like a, usually it's given into like the shoulder and it creates like a clot in there essentially, which, which gradually dissolves over the space of the month. And to get the kind of the daily dosage of it, of what it would be orally, you just kind of divide it by the day. So 120 milligrams is, um, that would be about 40. So, so four, sorry. So that would be about four milligrams a day. So that would be the max, the maximum, yeah, yeah, maximum recommended dose of, of risperdal, a drug typically used for psychosis and schizophrenia or severe bipolar disorder. And the thing, and the thing with the long acting injectables as well is they're, um, they're meant for patients who have difficulty take, taking the medication because they have very severe psychosis, you know, and they may go into bouts of delusions or paranoia and you want to kind of just get the drug in there while, you know, while it's kind of smooth seas because you don't know whether they're going to go on and off and essentially, but that doesn't sound like it was you, you know, it didn't sound like you had some kind of treatment resistant schizophrenia no. Where, you know, you were in and out of hospital several times and people were just trying to stabilize you, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd understand it in circumstances like that, but it doesn't yeah. justify, you know, just starting off with, like, the highest dose, no tolerance. I mean, he, he like, we, we, I think we had the discussion where I was telling him, like, I wasn't taking the medications. And that's one of the reasons why he was like, well, if you don't want to take the medications, I have a sample, medi- I have a sample injection we can give you for free, the first one. And, and, uh... Yeah, t- tell us no, about I'm your dystonic thinking. reaction because that that's kind of a horrific thing to happen. Yeah, what what was that, yeah, that like? Was, that was terrifying. Like I fell out of my. I mean, uh, I I, I kind of remember it vividly. Uh, um, sorry, it's just like uh, not being able to breathe at all. Um, it was, it was just so weird. I mean, it was such a traumatizing experience. And then after that, like, I didn't know at the time, like what I was really, really experiencing. I was just trying to stay cool, telling myself everything's going to be fine. And, you know, my father at the time too was, everybody was telling me, my mom too, on the phone, um, was just saying that it's just going to, it's going to go away. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, and I was, and I, and I try, and I was just believing, trusting in that process, but things, over time, kind of got worse for me uh, due to that injection. I, I developed like, uh, like I guess you would, you know, akathisia. I was never officially diagnosed, but like not not being able to sit still, it wasn't anxiety. Like I've always been like a super chill person, and I wasn't able to like. I was pacing. I I couldn't sit down for breakfast. I well, let me ask you this, Jaden. Did did mm-hmm. you try the oral medication first? No. Or did you just go straight to it? Okay. Yeah, so, I, I mean, that's kind of malpractice what happened because, you know, right in the drug label, it says that before you get put on, you know, one of these long acting medications, because really like if, if you have an adverse reaction to that, the only thing you could potentially do is go to a hospital and find a general surgeon and they cut a chunk out of your shoulder to, to remove the clot. I mean, that is, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted. I, I didn't. Oh, I I would have taken that op- opportunity. Oh, it yeah. was in my shoulder, by the way. It was like in, it was like uh, my one of my flanks. I can't remember like my right flank. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it would have been different, but that that that's a possibility. I've heard of them doing that before, but mm-hmm. usually yeah. what you're meant to do is give someone, you know, maybe like a week or two 
of the oral medication just to yeah. make sure they don't yeah. have an four milligrams at four milligrams too. And like, not, this. Yeah. I, I mean, I, but I feel like you would have to work your way up to four milligrams. Like, I mean, I know there's other injections too of ris- risperidone, uh, risperidol injections that are sure. also long acting, but they're like 25 milligrams and they're not, and it's not like 120, like for somebody, my age, like my weight, my size, like, I mean, I'm six, four, I, I'm a skinny guy, but like, yeah, you start someone on like, you know, usually you start someone on like a milligram of Risperdal a day, you know, would be a normal starting dose yeah. for someone, not yeah. not four milligrams. And mm-hmm. so that's, uh, yeah, malpractice occurred um, yeah. there uh, because yeah. that, that, is, that is really, really bad because they didn't test. I mean, because, I mean, if you think about it, like bad things happened to you, yeah, you had um, the akathisia and the dystonia um but you know there's there's cardiac problems with risperdal as well as there are with all other kind of antipsychotics and so mm. could have caused caused like a seizure or could have caused a cardiac problem as well and would have been mm-hmm. really really difficult to treat you so yeah i mean what happened was like very very bad mm-hmm. i wouldn't say it's common either i don't think most doctors no. go to that but i just think due to the again due to the circumstances I mean, I, I think back at it now and, I, and I, I see all the red flags, but I didn't see it then. Like, I, you know, the guy, the very old guy falling asleep at my appointments and then like also other things, you know, I wasn't aware of. I didn't know medications had long side effects or severe side effects like that. I just kind of assumed everything was mm-hmm. I thought we were very technologically savvy in medicine. And I guess it's not really like that in reality. Uh at this time. I mean, it's getting better, but it's far from perfect. Yeah. So. Well, well, God, that is awful. I'm so sorry. That is, um, the experience that you had. Walk, walk, walk us forward from there. Um, um, tell, tell us the rest of the story. So, uh, we had a follow-up appointment. Uh, it was like in August, you know, August 1st, the medicine supposedly, out of my system but I mean I didn't feel like it was I was having all kinds of problems I was telling him like I don't feel right I feel like um and and I think around this time too I was I was having some minor sexual dysfunction from the medication as well but then uh he was just telling me everything was anxiety it was all anxiety I need to get over it I'm the doctor listen to me uh, it seemed like he had you know it's on his his high horse at that appointment and my mother was on the phone too at that time and she she can she recalls everything and uh i think we were just all trusting him because you know we all wanted the best outcome for me and i trusted him again for a second time which was a big mistake because i went on uh you know i went on lexapro uh it's like 10 milligrams and xanax three times a day and i took that combo for 22 days and that's when i really developed i mean the onset of the sexual dysfunction was like it was like boom like first day and then like the uh, problems um, you know, persisted after I discontinued, and I guess you know I forgot. I guess got to walk back a little bit, but I forgot to mention that the headache problem that I developed on the respiridone that was like on and off, uh, and eventually became just persistent, just like the just just like the whole like genital numbness thing that people suffer with, guys suffer with, and uh, instead of you know. Um, numbness behind my head i developed like a neuralgia like a type of yeah. headache uh persistent wouldn't go away i've never had headaches 
like ever. I mean, my mom and my sister suffered with migraines, but I've never been one to have typically any problems with headaches. I mean, I thought people with headaches were babies. I guess yeah. I have more empathy now. I mean, that's terrible that I thought that way, but I just didn't know. Uh, yeah. And and it was just it was it was like one thing after another. I don't know. I felt like it got like nuke like obliterated. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Um. So do you, so okay. So you ended up on the on the like so. Okay, so you're on Pacera, so you I guess you have to you essentially ride that month out. I guess the dystonia eventually resolves. How long did it take for the dystonia to resolve? Like a couple of weeks or, or a couple of days? Weird, weird symptoms were like yeah. so much adrenaline. I couldn't look at my phone. I couldn't watch TV. It was just overstimulating. Like, yeah, I don't know if that was like a, a, a symptom of of the dystonic reaction or something else happening due to the you know the. Yeah. The, the mechanisms of the drug, you know, I just felt like I was just staring. I was, I remember just staring at a clock. Like I was like going insane, but I was like every single day, I was just waiting for the time. Cause I was just like, I need, I, yeah. this is, this is going to pass. This is going to pass. And you know, I wasn't, I wasn't able to scroll online and look up side effects. Like I was just like, this is going to pass. Uh, oh my God. Um, it was, okay. it was a battle. Um, I just, okay. I, right. I just didn't have to go to the hospital. I didn't have to go to the ER um, after the two times that I went. Okay. And, um, okay, so tell us, so it sounds like you th- thought you were developing sexual dysfunction when you were on the Paceros, and then when you when you started taking Lexapro, things kind of turned up a notch. Can you tell us a little bit about what you noticed after initiating Lexapro? Um, the... I, I have no idea what it was really doing. I, and, and, you know, combined with the Xanax, I didn't know like what was working or what wasn't working. I just knew my, uh, my, I have absolute, I don't know, just complete genital numbness, I guess. Like just yeah. kind of like, and then, you know, I told my father about it and he thought it was like funny and like, it was like a joke. And I'm like, this is nuts. Mm-hmm. Like I'm 20 years old and it's 20 years old at the time, 23 now. But being 20 years old with those symptoms, and I've never had that before, not even with depression, uh, it, it was just kind of like, it was traumatizing. I don't know. It just felt yeah, like yeah. stabbed in the heart and betrayed. Like, I just wasn't expecting that to be a possibility. And I wasn't told either that there'd be sexual dysfunction. Uh, I wasn't told really anything and just other than like maybe like dry mouth and headache and you're going to be fine. Did he do how long did he say that you were going to be on the Xanax for? Um, there wasn't a particular time. Like, I just remember like I had like 90 pills and, and, uh, mm-hmm. I never, I never took all of them. I eventually I got rid of the medication and the Lexapro. Um, I think, okay. I think it was helping with like the, the Xanax was helping with like the, like, like on uh, inability to sit still, but, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like, I was just so scared. I was, I can't, I can't do this. Like I just couldn't do it. Maybe I should, you know, I, I, and I understand like in severe cases, like that was a severe case. Like imagine somebody who's coming to seek treatment and has those symptoms just naturally occurring. Like everyone's going to want to help that person, you know, but for me, I, due, due to the, you know, due to how it happened to me, like, I was just like, no, I can't, I can't go back and get bit by the same dog. Like I don't want to, 
go down the rabbit hole again. Um, yeah, and I mean, it sounds like when you were kind of complaining about the sexual dysfunction, he was saying that it's just anxiety. You know, this is just a young man with performance anxiety who, you know, is just too in his head. And mm-hmm. that was just like completely written off. Um, hmm. um, so, so how long were you on Lexapro uh, all up? Uh, 20, 22 days. 22 days. And, yeah. and did the sexual dysfunction, I mean, has it endured since that time? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's gotten like a little better, not completely. You know, I still have issues where, you know, you know I, I, I describe it as like a circuit, like flickering on and off. Like there's some days where it's just like things seem to work, you know, for acutely, but it's, it, but it's not, it's not the same. It, it is not the same of what I had before, which was so much better. I mean, the, the, the pleasure I had, you know, from experiences and just, you know, uh, self-pleasure was it's it's it was i mean thinking about it now i mean that was out of this world compared to what it is now which is just like a sneeze i mean it's just like how's how is that even like possible but i guess you know there's other there's other conditions out there out there that are similar but not the same that mimic the same symptoms so but there's um, really not you know is is the thing and you know because they say because because they say it's well this is what they tell people you know, they're just like, oh, it could be anxiety, you know, it could be in your head, you know, and then it's like, well, he never really had it before. Um, he's complaining of genital anesthesia now. He has muted orgasms, you know, mm-hmm. you know, where the intensity has gone down. Those are not symptoms of yeah. sexual dysfunction associated or with anxiety. No, it's yeah. not typically. I, I think for the majority of people, that's not the case. No, for hardly anyone, you know, that's the case, you know. People with depression, they 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 still um, have orgasms, you know, normal orgasms. (laughs) Or they, you know, they want to seek out a partner or go out on dates or they want to do. They're just depressed, you know. And and it's not the same, you know. It's it's not the same per individual, but I think for the majority of people, that's the circumstances. I mean, that's just. Yeah, I, I don't think it's. I see people, uh, you know, from doing awareness, you know, and I, I think the Twitter sphere is a small sphere and doesn't speak for everybody who's out there who's a doctor practicing medicine. But I see people saying, well, that's, you know, th- those prevalent studies of depression show higher rates of, of low libido and sexual dysfunction. Like, OK, but that doesn't speak for everybody. And I think that's just like a very narrow study. Like, there, there has to be flaws. Yeah. I mean, like I get low libido, but the thing is, it's like. It's like a mix, you know, like I, I've talked to spend most of my career talking to depressed people. And mm-hmm. yes, yeah, some of some of them are less interested in sex. You know, some of them have such severe anxiety that, you know, they become like lethargic and they're not that interested in it. But mm-hmm. others, even when they're depressed, I mean, sex is like a escape for them. Masturbation is an escape for them. It's something that they do, which is like a like almost like a life raft of like pleasure that they hang on to. It's like the thing that works. So it's not like it's this. Yeah, it was my form of medication. I got to be honest. You know, if I was if I was stressed, it was something I did. Uh, you know, if I wanted to, As, I, if I was on a you know a date, something I wanted to experience. Like, and for that to just kind of be like all of a sudden be taken away, like it's yeah. Crazy. It's just and that's and that's not unusual. I mean, I've seen statistics. You know, and I know you know young men slash men just in general i mean you know masturbation is frequently just 
a way of uh, stress relief. You know, when people are anxious and when people are depressed, you know, it, it, it's, it is very, very normal. Yeah. And, and so to say that it's due to, well, you know, due to the mental illness is, um, it's, 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 too simplistic. No, it's, it's, it's way too simplistic. And then the other thing that when people have sexual dysfunction is, is for, from cardiovascular disease, you know, or it's from taking other medications or, or drugs. And if that doesn't fit you, you know, like cardiovascular disease, we're talking about people 40 and above who have heart disease. And then, and then even in them, it, there's no problems with your or- orgasm. It's more problems with blood flow and maintaining an erection because the, the vessels become damaged. Um, and so if that's not you and you're not, you know, taking some other drugs that could, could influence that. I mean, were you taking any other medications or? No, 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 I was never on psych medications. I mean, seventh grade, I took took five ants for like a very small period, but it it never, it never caused problems like growing up, like totally fine. Um, yeah. So, well, actually, let's let's do this because I think PSSD is really interesting. You know, there's a lot of different symptoms in there. So mm-hmm. after you developed uh, the sexual dysfunction from from the Lexapro, um, and then it sounds like you stopped it after like 28 days, right, or like a month or something like that. Not not long. Is that right? It was about uh, 20, a few, yeah, 20 days. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what was the constellation of symptoms that you had? after coming off the Lexapro. So it sounds like there was some genital numbing, but what else was going on? Because sometimes oh, people with PSSD, oh, yeah. they so, kind of report like a yeah. whole range of yeah, things. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, that's this is why we all feel, I feel like, you know, obliterated. It's just because of, I mean, I'd say some of the symptoms overlap with long COVID, but it isn't long COVID. I didn't, I didn't get COVID until I went on a trip to Mexico after a surgery I had. So, um, I did, you know, inhedonia, inability to cry, like emotional blunting, like, uh, you know, and it slowly got better over time a little bit. But then, like, I feel like the trauma, too, has made my numbness a lot worse, like my ability to feel emotions deeper. Like, I just feel like maybe, maybe it's my way of coping, but I just don't feel like I can, like, like I want to, uh, like, let, let, like, relieve myself with, with, with tears. Like, I just don't. I don't know how to describe that well, but is it kind I, of like a very emotional person? I don't feel like I'm as emotional. Um, okay. And and some things did persist. Like you know, I feel like brain fog is one of those things that I have a hard time working through. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a difficult problem that's persisted and stayed. Um, feel, feeling, I, and I I also think that some of these symptoms may also be. And I'm just speculating, I mean, but like a trauma response to everything, like the feel, like feeling out of my body, not feeling present, like, and then I have to like, you know, they say to practice, like, I've, I've heard therapists say this, but practice grounding, like being present in the moment, like, it's just, it's, it makes sense, but it's like hard to do that given all the things that bother me and Sure. Yeah. And you bring up a good point, especially about the emotional numbing and the blunting, because I imagine this is uh, many people with PSSD may find themselves in a similar situation where, you know, part of the syndrome really is like this emotional blunting and numbing. But a common 
common symptoms in a trauma response are also kind of this this type of shock where where you just don't feel things anymore because you're faced with the horror of oh shit you know like has you know have i sustained like a neurological injury you know am i ever going to be the same again you know i've been betrayed you know i've i've lost these things and people deal with severe trauma in different ways and one of them one of them is this kind of dissociated type blunted kind of withdrawn thing you know it's like protective in a way because it's so i mean it's so kind of horrific what's happened and so you get this combination of you know a, a drug injury you know which can do that on its own but then also the um the trauma just like you said you know the trauma also kind of pulls you out of you know it also pulls you out of um I guess your ability to kind of connect with other people and things like that because if you're going through what you're going through it's very hard to be interested in the things that I guess you'd say happy people are interested in you just like <laughs> how can I relate to those things yeah, when I don't I feel like an old man like I'm just staring at my generation all the time like those young people like, I don't know I just I I still you know like I can still relate because it wasn't too long ago that I was healthy and I was one of those people but on this side of the fence, yeah, I do, I do feel a bit like, um, oh, yeah, jaded I, I and relate to most people. Like, I just don't. Yeah, yeah, no. Do you see like happy people and you mm -hmm. know their lives, and you're just like, I wonder what that's like, you know? Or you know, some people, you know, they come from a place where it's like they used to be like optimistic about the world, and then it's just like mm -hmm. this has been the thing that's really like shattered that. It's just like actually there's like disaster lurking around every corner, you know, and you know, if you're unlucky, it could, it can, it can happen to anyone really. It, it really does age people. I think feeling like an old man is like a good way to put it because it's like that. I don't know. Maybe it's like losing a form of like innocence, especially, I, I mean, I don't know what your life, your life was like before of this. I mean, you may, there may have been terrible things going on, but for a lot of people when, you know, something this bad happens to them. It's just like it, their whole worldview changes. It, yeah, it's, it's I'm, quite yeah, a lot. I'm totally, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah. I feel like half the person I was, but I've also learned a lot through the whole process and uh, <laughs> maybe I've grown some, I mean, I don't want to be completely pessimistic, but I mean, if anything good came out of it, I mean, you know, it's, it's been, it's been, it's been able to speak up about it and uh, I guess kind of like pursue hope uh, and, and, well, it does sound like there's there's there is there is a lot to be hopeful for because it does sound like things have improved over the last three years. Can you tell us about like the trajectory of these symptoms over the last three years, how they've kind of come and gone, and yeah. where you're at today? Like, how bad were they at the start, and kind of where are they now? Um, so some things have gotten better since the start. Like, I can't say it's all like it's all completely gone downhill, but I've sort of just like flatlined. I haven't got better. I haven't really gotten worse. Um, but the headache, I had a I had a cipral nerve decompression for in, uh, San Francisco, um, at bilateral excision of multiple peripheral nerves. And, uh, so part of my head is numb. It does help a little bit with the burning pain that I was dealing with at neuralgia. Um, the, the sexual dysfunction, it seems like, you know, I've tried medication since, you know, like Wellbutrin. I, I, I gave it a shot that worked for like two months, stopped working. 
I gave five ants a shot. It worked okay. I gave Adderall a shot. Too many physical side effects, like just feeling dehydrated. Uh, I mean, it did help. I mean, these things, like, so, I don't know, there, there must be some kind of also dopaminergic, dopaminergic variable, mm-hmm. the PSSD in some cases. I don't know if it's all cases, but it seems like it plays a small role for me. But it isn't, like, I don't, I don't know. It, it hasn't completely, like, if I stop taking the medication, I, I don't, like, I don't get like better or anything like I only benefit when I take the medication. Mm-hmm. The benefits over time too kind of fade away. That's one of the problems I have with those medications, uh, the Vyvanse and I guess all three of those medications. Okay. Um, so uh, as of for right now, I think they're like good tools for me to use, but like I just put them in the toolbox. Uh, too many, too many side effects, too many, uh, what keeps you going during all of this? I mean, this is mm. going to be no surprise to you, but p- people with PSSD and who go through this kind of stuff, you know, they they can become suicidal, things like that. Mm. And it's often like, um, you know, life can be a struggle sometimes. You know, what, what keeps you going, you know, three years down the line? Um, I think it's just the memories I've had and I've made. And, you know, my when I was healthy, it's like I just want that again, like, I lived a great life. I had, it was, I mean, it was beautiful. Everything that even, even like, um, I just have a lot of hope for, um, yeah. getting that back one day. And, uh, I think it's possible. I don't see why it isn't possible. Um, and especially, I just, I just don't think the trajectory always has to be like a, a downward incline. Like I think it can also go, it can go anywhere. And especially mm-hmm. with like the developments in medicine, I think it can be like that too. So there's things to look forward to. And I think that that's what keeps me going. P, you know, I, I think PSSD network was great for me to help out with a little bit. Um, doing uh, in the beginning, uh, doing awareness with everybody it, it provided some sense of purpose and community and, 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 uh, helped me to be able to like, re- like find others to relate to and not feeling and feeling less alone. So I think that's a great thing. You know, people I think do need that who are suffering is community because it can feel really lonely when, you know, especially like you're a young person and like, there's like no one else can understand. <laughs> So. No. Yeah, the community I think has been a total lifeline because it's so isolating. Um, ha, do you feel like your family has been able to come around and they kind of un- they understand what's happened to you now? Uh, yeah, yeah. My mom in particular, she's she's really great and understands everything I'm going through and and goes to bat for me all the time. Um, everyone everyone's responses like friends and family like everyone gets it. Uh, you know, no one really truly understands what I'm dealing with, but I think everybody wants me to get better and, and no one's invalidating what I'm going through and everyone believes what I'm going through because it just isn't nothing like me. Like this is nothing like who I was. Uh, you know, I'm not just making this stuff up for attention. Like I'm, I'm debilitated by so many different things and it's, it's so surreal, but 
it just, you know, like I'm not the only one. So that's another thing is like, there are other people out there going through very similar problems and had similar experiences. So, um, Mm -hmm. it makes me hopeful that in the future due to that, like also like, again, it'll like these things could be solved. I don't know. I just don't think this is forever. Yeah. No. And, and, and I think some of these things, at least from what I've seen on the forums and stuff, they just resolve, you know, mm-hmm. even without any intervention or medication, just time. And, you know, the fact that you're 23 and you're, um, I mean, really the nervous system, especially in men, doesn't fully mature until the late 20s or 30s. So it's still in this kind of process of of um, reorganization and such. So I really do think there's a lot to be hopeful for even without some, some kind of intervention, just, just, mm-hmm. just where, where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, something I'm interested in is how did your relationship end with that first psychiatrist that kind of essentially oh. like obliterated you? What, what was the end of that relationship like? I, 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 uh, I ghosted him. I, I left, you know, we left bad reviews, my sister and I, and cause mm-hmm. it impacted her too. I mean, she had to see her brother go through like terrible things and, I mean, it was, you know, the akathisia, whatever, the movement, just not being able to sit still, the head pain, you know, just, it, it, she, you know, she didn't, she didn't see the brother she, she had before. So like, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's been traumatizing for my entire family. It didn't just impact me, but impacted everybody, friends too. And, um, so I never got, I never got, well, we tried to get my medical records back from, from him. We tried to request uh, to see what he, what he wrote. And we never got, we never got anything back. So, and since then we never, we never tried to reach back out. So sure. We just weren't, I don't know. We're just trying to move on, but, um, I don't even, I don't even know if he's honestly like, I don't, I don't know if he's alive. I don't know. I mean, he's an older guy. I don't due to COVID happening. I don't know if he would have. Yeah. Survived that. I don't, I have no idea. So even if I wanted to, you know, like sue or something, what's the, like, I don't know. Like also like I, I want to forgive him, but it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's just a challenge. Uh, but, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just kind of hard because there's no amount of money that's going to salt, like make me happy. It's, I want my health back. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's, it's really confusing. And I just want to just like, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know what I would do in a similar situation, but it's, mm-hmm. you, you clearly just a very compassionate person and a kind person as well, you know, cause someone has really wronged you. And the first thing that kind of comes to your mind is, well, not, it's not the first thing. It's just like, you know, I'll probably need to forgive him to move past this. You know, there needs to be this kind of, this side to the healing, which I think just really speaks to just your kindness and maturity, which is just great, great to hear. I, I don't know if any, if, if all people would be able to, to, to feel like that. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, based on what had happened to you, um, I was just wondering, can you just comment on like, what do you wish would have happened? You know, when you were, you know, when COVID hit, you know, work slowed down, you're in the middle of nowhere, you know, depression is real, you know, feeling Mm -hmm. terrible and anxious is real. Your dad saw something that he was worried about and he wanted to help you. 
What do you wish would have happened back then? You know, I think I think it would have been nice to have my father kind of like, you know, I think he was kind of another factor into this, but open up more with me about what exactly were the things I was struggling was struggling with. What were the things that were making me depressed? Being there with him in a place where I had no friends. It was very frustrating. I mean, I think it was, I think, the, I think those, I mean, I, I think everybody was impacted by, it. I mean, listening to other people, I think a lot of people were depressed, not being able to go out anywhere. Uh, everybody at that time was going through rough times. And I unfortunately just got caught in the crossfire, everything. And, uh, but, <clears throat> but, um, it taught, like, I, I think therapy would have been better for me too changing my environment. I mean, there's so many different things like I think of that could have been done to change what, what happened. Um, I, I mean, there was a time I wanted to go home. Uh, I called my mother and I said, I want to come home. I can't, I don't want to be here anymore because it's really depressing. I I'm stuck in the trailer with, you know, and with nothing to do, nobody to talk to. And, and I just want to be by my friends. And, uh, I wasn't unfortunately able to do that. <clears throat> and that's what kind of led to like, uh, I think a further es escalation of my depression at the time. Um, but I know like if I, if I, I just think, you know, I don't like to think of the what ifs, but I know if I went back home, I probably would have been in a way better position than I am. And, and probably would have been getting, you know, the, the therapy I needed and I wouldn't have, I mean, the doctors here have been amazing. I mean, it, it it's crazy how one, like I literally had one bad doctor in my entire life. I've never been a doctor person. I've never been a hospital person. And it just took one bad doc doctor to like ruin it all for me. So, um, it's just, it's just, everyone here has been different. And so, um, I, I, I would have gotten better help here. And when you saw that, you know, the, the first doc, you know, looking back on it, um, I mean, was there any, was there any like therapy there or any kind of like, you know, Jaden, can you tell me about what's going on in your life? You know, let's catch up with your dad. Let's try and kind of troubleshoot what's going on. You know, tell, tell me about maybe, you know, are you exercising? Are you, you know, what's your diet like? How, like what are the re important relationships like for you? Like was, were those things tried by the psychiatrist? No, not really. I mean, he would talk about these things, but like they weren't like re like they weren't they weren't possible to do. It's like, well, you should go to the co the college in downtown San Antonio, and it's like I can't do. I have no car. My car isn't here. It's at home in Michigan. Yeah. And with Dad, I mean, we only had one truck. I can't. I mean, yeah. my dad my dad's doing business work there. It's a carnival business. We have equipment out there. There's a bunch of things to do, like you know, things to repair, things to work on, maintenance. While we were waiting for the lockdowns to end. And so, um, he didn't really, he didn't really understand that. He, I don't think he understood that, uh, you know, like just because like, I, I maybe assumed I, like I had ton, a ton of money, like I could just do these things, but like, no, that wasn't like the circumstances for me. Like, no, I didn't have that help. Like no one said like, Oh, Hey, we'll, we'll drive your, we'll get somebody to bring your car down from Michigan. So you could go to school in San Antonio. Like no mm -hmm. one offered that to me. And so, the, some of the things that he was trying to say to do, I mean, things I work, I was doing, I was running. I, I have, you know, Snapchat videos of me going on runs. I mean, I'd run like three miles every once in a while, like five days a week. And I had to take, I had to take days off. And, uh, mm -hmm. 
So I was taking steps, but they, they weren't really helping. Like they, like the running helped me. It, it, it was always something that helped me. Um, I was never depressed to the point like I was suicidal, but it was always, a, it was a coping thing. Uh, just because like I did cross cross country track and field through high school and I got super serious about that. And I think I, I kept a lot of those habits with me. Um, and they helped a lot, but after the, after the, even after the, after the medication, I wasn't able to do that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it just sucks that that happened too. I mean, it's just running. Don't feel the same. I don't feel the same endorphins I had. I don't feel the same pleasure from that. It's just, you know, I still, I still go for walks. I still want to stay active. I don't want to completely deteriorate and turn into uh, a skeleton, but. Mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you so much for agreeing to let me have a, have a chat with you. I think stories just like yours are really, really important and it helps to, it just helps to show what's, what's happening out there. I mean, this is just yeah. a, a nightmare, you know, like, um, and the, the, the hardest thing is like, you're not like, you're not alone, you know, it's happening mm-hmm. like all over the place. And so mm-hmm. thank you for uh, contributing to this and, 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 and getting your story out there. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Drs. Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at WitDuringPsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.